The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Bobby said uh, we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 12 today, so I'd love for you to open your Bible to that. Um, If we haven't met, my name's John, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, A minute ago, uh, one of our other pastors, Mike Andrews, just sent me a text and asked me if that made me Colonel Potter. Um, And I kind of see myself as more of a Henry Blake character um, in in the MASH universe. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I've just completely dated myself, so... Um, So we're going to be reading from Romans 12 today. Um, Each week on Monday mornings, we have a staff meeting. And we pray and we have conversation. And if we haven't read the text for the following Sunday in our elders meeting, we read it in our staff meeting. Um, We drink coffee together and we, we evaluate what happened the previous Sunday. We talk about what happened over the last week together. And in every one of our staff meetings, there's a time for some honest reflection. There's time for evaluation. There's time for vulnerability. The word that that we've been using a little bit around here over the past few weeks is real talk. There's time for some real talk. Um, And last week, honestly, for me, was was zero exception to a real talk conversation about Romans chapter 12. A friend of mine named Rick Lawrence says, um, has this to say about the Bible. He says, when we read the Bible like an Instagram account, coagulated truisms, we diminish the weight of its impact. The Bible is more like a narrative hurricane, stripping our frail belief systems of their facades. And for me, Romans 12 was exactly that last week in our staff meeting. As we read and discussed Romans 12, the longer we went into the text, the more I felt this anxiety raising in my, in my own soul. And it was really the Holy Spirit who was bearing his weight down upon me. Um, and then we had our eval time of our weekly gathering of our weekly staff meeting. And if you were here last week, you saw that we had a number of different technical difficulties that took place. And we talked about them as well. And, and those two conversations between the technical issues that we had on Sunday and, and what was happening in Romans 12 really, firm, really formed this perfect storm, this, this narrative hurricane that Rick was talking about in my own soul. And, and when we were done with the meeting, the room cleared out. And I wrote this on my Facebook page. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. It's Romans 12, 10. Then I wrote 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not boastful or jealous or boastful or proud. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And then I wrote, I want these words to be burned into every fiber of my being. I quickly made a sandwich and picked up my laptop and went to my office and closed the door. And honestly, as I reflected on Romans chapter 12, for about 20 minutes, I just cried in my office just feeling overwhelmed by what 
by what God was saying to me and by what he was communicating to me. And I wiped my face and I asked him to tell me, God, what, what are you doing here in my heart? What are you doing in my soul today? And I, I realized that just in a few hours of conversation, God had begun to peel back these layers of selfishness and arrogance in my own life. And it was really uncomfortable. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just layers of selfish and arrogance in my own life, but, but there, was some, there was some value to that for us as a church body. And, and it all centered around verse 10 in Romans chapter 12. And it says this, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. That, that text, that verse just kept leaping off of the pages of my Bible. And we're gonna get to that here in a second. But let me remind you about what's happening in the book of Romans. We talked about this a few months ago. Uh, Romans, just so you know, has made the list for 2022 of series that we're going to talk about. Romans is, is a letter that's written to a church in the middle of a huge cultural change. Around 49 AD, Emperor Claudius has expelled all of the Jews from Rome. It didn't matter if they were Jewish or if they were Jewish Christians. They had all been expelled from Rome. And for those who had been Christians in Rome, it was very possible, if not likely, that they had been leaders in their churches. So imagine for a moment if, if all of the leaders within your church were expelled well, you would take over, right? Because the church isn't built on any one person. We've talked about that for the last several weeks. You would take over. The Gentiles took over. And then after Claudius died, the Jews began to return. And what they found was a loss of their power and their preference and their place and their position. They had no idea what they were to do. In some instances, they weren't even welcomed back in their own house churches. So Paul writes this letter to the church at Rome. He writes this letter to remind them of who they were, to remind them of God's mercy and kindness and unfailing love. He deconstructs the power and the privilege of the, of the strong. And he turns their power upside down to give the power back to the weak. What I did this week is I read through Romans. I read through Romans chapter 12. Part of my practice is to, is to read it in the original language. Now, I don't know Greek. I'm not Dave Robinson. Um, but I read it in the original language with an English translation right next to it. And I, I just, I write. So this is the first time in a long time I've handwritten a sermon. But I have a bunch of little, and don't be, don't be alarmed by these Number of well, maybe you should be alarmed by the number of pages, um, but I just wrote out the entire text. And what I wanted to do this morning is is just read through and talk about Romans twelve together. So you can you'll be able to follow along in your Bibles if you're using the NLT. If you have if you're using the U version app, you'll be able to follow along. We're just going to read and kind of discuss as we go. And so, therefore, because of this, because of God's 
grace, kindness, and mercy. Now, your text doesn't say that, but as Joe likes to say, when you see a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. What Paul's saying is, because of this, because of everything I just wrote to you in chapters 1 through 11, God's grace, mercy, and kindness, I plead with you. I'm urging you. I am imploring you. I am exhorting you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. What has God done? He's given us mercy and grace and he's given us kindness. And that, that Greek word where it says to give really means to stand. So what he's telling the church in Rome is they need to stand with God because of all of the things that God has done for them. All of the things that God has given them. He is imploring them. He's begging them. He is challenging them, demanding that they stand with God. Let them, that's your bodies, let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship God. Maybe if you're, if you're familiar with the NIV, it says this is your, um, this is your reasonable sacrifice. Essentially, what Paul is saying is because of who God is, the least you can do, not the most you can do, not next level Christian, he's saying the least you can do, bare minimum, present your body as a living sacrifice. And then I got to thinking, what does that mean? Like, we, don't, we don't relate to this concept of sacrifice but to the Jews in this time, they would have known exactly what Paul was talking about. So flip back to my Old Testament and the Old Testament has a few things to say about sacrifice. Not just any animal or offering would do. It was never a matter of, well, it's time to go to the temple. It's time to go to synagogue. Look out back, grab the first lamb you see, put it over your shoulders and take that to the temple. No, see, this was only the unblemished animal. It was the best animal. It wasn't a, oh man, it's temple day. Quick, go grab an animal. It was the best. And then for crops, it was a matter of the first fruits, also the best. And just reading through this, these first few verses in Romans Chapter 12, it's um, false worship is to present an unacceptable sacrifice to God. See, when we present an unacceptable sacrifice, that's not true worship, that's false worship. We don't get to worship God how we want to, but as, the demand, but as God demands. See, God has expectations and even though we don't go to temple, even though we don't follow this sacrificial law, God has expectations of how we are to worship him. He has standards. And if we don't, if we don't give of ourselves, if we don't give ourselves, in fact, is what it really says, then we're not worshiping. This is, 
We're only in verse one. But it's okay. Don't, how do we do that? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. So there's a change. There's a metamorphosis is the Greek word that's used there into a new person by changing the way you think. See, we're not supposed to look at the ways of our world and copy them. The Greek talks about not fashioning ourselves according to it. So we don't take our cues for the world and how we are to act as Christians. We take our cues from the transformation that God does. So he makes us something that's new. He makes us something that we're not. And again, if you have the NIV, if that's your, if that's your translation, it'll say something like, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. by the renewal of your mind. We talked about this last week. It was the third point in last week's message. God cares more about who a church is than what a church does. Do you remember that? God cares more about who you are than what you do. This is the renewal of a mind. And when we have this renewed mind, this is, this is such great news to us. We will be able to discern we will learn to know what God's will is for our lives. Who wants to know what God's will is for your life? Right? We should all be raising our hands because we all want to know what God's will is for my life. If you want to know, the pathway to that is a renewed mind. I love you. It's not about whether you're a type A or a type B. I don't care. God does not care what Enneagram number you are. The pathway to knowing God's will is a renewed mind. You're not going to find it anywhere else. And God's will is always good. It's, that means it's beneficial. It's pleasing. It's acceptable. It's perfect. And what that means is mature. See, when we have renewed minds, God tells us what his will is. And then that part where it talks about not being conformed to this world, to the customs of this world. The Greek there really means age. So the, like the time in which we live. Right? So we're not to be conformed to, to our particular time, to our particular age. And a question that we ought to ask ourselves is, well, what, what does that mean? What does that mean for me as, as someone who lives in 2021, who lives in Western Nebraska, like what's our age? What are the things that we are tempted to give into? Well, I heard this in a sermon that I listened to last year during shutdown. There's a sociological term called plausibility structure. And every culture has a way of viewing things as most likely or most plausible. It's what intuitively strikes us as a rational explanation for anything. Basically, a plausibility structure is what makes sense to us. Like we read something. Have you ever done this? And you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Probably without even knowing that. Like when you automatically agree with something you read with, that's a plausibility structure. When you disagree with something that you read, that is then your... That is not your plausibility structure. That's why you're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense to me. 
Why would anyone think that? Why would anyone believe that? Why would anyone act this way? Why would anyone act that way? See, that presses against your plausibility structure. And, and as people who live in the West, and that's not Western Nebraska, that's like our culture, we have three main plausibility structures. I want you to really listen to how these play out. The first is materialistic, or excuse me, mechanistic. We look at the world in a mechanistic way, and here's what that means. We believe in physical processes and order. We like steps, right? You know, you, you get something that you're gonna build and what do you do? You turn to the instructions, right? Because there's steps. Have you ever received something that you've ordered that needs to be put together that was from a different culture and it was just pictures of how to do things and it looked like there was no order to it at all? See, they do that because they don't, they don't operate the way we do. We have a very mechanistic way of viewing the world. We like to set up programs for everyone to follow. And we have convinced ourselves that if everyone will just do the exact same thing, we will get the same outcome. Teachers, how are those standardized tests working out for you? See, that's a mechanistic plausibility structure. We're not just mechanistic, we're also naturalistic. Everything is derived from real life. What we see, what we taste, what we touch, what we smell, what we hear, that's real life. This makes us very skeptical of supernatural things. That's why we don't believe in supernatural things. I was watching this clip a few weeks ago uh, as part of the If Gathering which is a women's, like a women's ministry. And they showed this clip from, of this interview with this pastor from, I think he was from Iran. And Jenny Allen was doing this interview with him. And he was talking a lot about visions and dreams and power encounters in the Muslim world. And the little thing that makes you just curious about that, like I'm not sure that I believe that, a little tick when I say that, that's because this presses against our plausibility structure. And in this interview, this guy was, this guy was giving this story where he was talking with someone and this person said, hey, every night, this guy in a white robe comes and visits me. And I've been writing down in my journal what he says. And this pastor is like, okay, well, you got to show me this journal. I want to see this. This is from the first page. I wonder if it'll sound familiar. In the beginning was the word. And the word became flesh. See, this person has been visited by a spiritual being that is telling him the gospel of John. And as I'm watching this interview, Jenny Allen keeps saying things like, this is so backwards. This doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not bagging Jenny Allen. I'm bagging our plausibility structure. See, when we write that off, that's our plausibility structure. We are skeptical of spiritual things. And here's, here's the third thing. We're also highly influenced by the Enlightenment. We have decided as a culture that everything can be resolved if we just get smarter. Have you noticed that? We just need to get smarter. If everyone was as advanced and well-read 
and understood how things really work as well as I do, man, we would solve racism. We would solve economic inequality. And see, each one of these three things, these plausibility structures, they press against us. We just automatically assume that they're correct. And when we read the Bible, we have to understand that when we are challenged by what the Bible says, it's because it's pressing on our plausibility structures. Let's keep going in Romans. Because of the privilege and authority, this is verse three, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I tell you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Do not think too highly of oneself. Be honest means set your mind, be reasonable in the evaluation of yourselves. Be in reality. I think the NIV, again, I keep referring to the NIV. NIV talks about being sober-minded. Don't be drunk on yourself. There are a lot of people in our culture and in our society that are drunk on themselves. They've consumed so much of self that they are, they're engorged with it. They don't see reality. Measure yourself by the faith that God has given you. And that sounds a lot like Ephesians 4.13. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Who do we measure ourselves against? We measure ourselves against Christ. You're not my measuring stick. Your neighbor is not your measuring stick. I'm not your measuring stick. The person who's been a Christian for 40 years and reads their Bible faithfully 30 minutes a day, twice, they're not your measuring stick. Christ is our measuring stick. Verse four, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function. Does that sound familiar? Talked about that last week. That's 1 Corinthians 12. So it is with Christ's body. We are many, many parts of one body and we belong to each other. See, Paul is speaking to a church that's broken and, and in factions and in division. And they need to be reminded of who God is. They need to be reminded of what he's done for them. They need to be reminded that they are to take action upon what they've heard. This is verse five. In his grace, that means because of who God is, he has given us different gifts for certain things. So if God has given us, given the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving, serve them well. If it's teaching, teach well. If the gift, if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. Does this sound familiar to what we talked about last week in 1 Corinthians 12? And this is the thing. Our play is not to figure out which one of our gifts is. Like, isn't it crazy when we read a list of gifts, like our brains switch to that? I wonder if there's a plausibility structure involved in that. Right? What Paul is talking about, we, this is just so much last week. Don't you love getting the same sermon twice? See, Paul is trying to convince the churches that they're to be one body. 
And so often in the way that we read scripture, we immediately want to, want to separate ourselves from it. We want to think about and focus on what my role is, what my gift is, what my skill is. And there's a place for that because we all have one. And the purpose of it, like last week, is to serve the body well. If we're reading this and thinking, oh, I wonder which gift I have. Gently. I'm going to tell you that. I think you're reading it wrong. Because that's not what Paul's going for. Last week in our staff meeting, this is how Becky summarized verses three to eight. Rather than proud arrogance, find your place of service and be who God has called you to be. I think that's something that we all need to hear. Rather than proud arrogance, rather than thinking that we are above any task in the church or we are not gifted for a task in the church, set aside your arrogance and just serve. Can you see why this was starting to weigh on me a little bit? Don't just pretend to love others so there's no hypocrisy. Be genuine, really love them, hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. See, when that gets translated into English, that hold tightly, the Greek meant to unite with it. That's different than holding tightly. See, I can hold on to this all I want and I'm never gonna be one with this paper. As the church, we're called to be one. We're called to cling to one another in such a way that we become one. That's what's happening right now in Bobby's finger. It is making, like the healing process is making his finger become one with his hand and become one with his body. And this is what we're called to do as a church. We're called to unite, we're called to be one. So let's talk about verse 10. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight. Esteem more highly. Show deference. Prefer. Take delight in doing these things in honoring each other. Take delight in honoring each other. And can you hand me my phone, please? I meant to bring my phone up here. Let me talk about it this way. So at Westway, we believe it is, it is who we are that families and children are welcome in this room. How many of you ever heard me say anything like that? Yep, families and children are welcome in this room. If they cry, the church stance is no one cares, right? Because kids cry. Who, who's ever had a child? Has your child cried? You know what? Like, that's just, that's just part of the deal. And, and, and we talk about this often. I say, when, when a child cries, what don't I want you to do? Let's see if you pay attention. So child in the back cries, what do I tell you not to do? Turn and look. Why don't I want you to turn and look? Because the mom knows her kid is crying, right? And what she doesn't need is 150 people all doing the, doing the head turn to acknowledge that the child is crying. 
See, we know that. It's, it's part of who we are. And, and we're just, we're nailing that. A few weeks, this might have been a month ago, someone sent me a, a text. Actually, it was a series of texts that I just want to share with you about this. And I'm going to have to correct. Isn't, it's funny what, what people send their pastor. So I'm not going to read the language as written. If we were a King James church, I could get away with the word, but I'm not going to say it. So my child was an absolute. Oh, my wife said I could say jack wagon, so I can say jack wagon. Thank you. <laughs> was an absolute jack wagon at church. But after this little old, 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 three olds, man walked up with his walker and said hello to her and said, it was worth the trip to see you. Then this was another story. Not sure who this was, but basically an older later, older lady who had definitely, who definitely had grandma skills approached and asked if she could hold this child. I'm not going to say jack wagon because that's my wife's word could hold this child While the mom took communion, the lady took the child and said, I love you. The child snuggled into her and the mom got to take communion without the child trying to steal it. Nailed it. Killing it. Here's here's what I want to challenge us on. As I said, last week we had technical difficulties within, within the church, right? There was an audio channel that failed and Michaela couldn't sing. The, the, lyric, the lyrics weren't caught up. And as, as the team was frantically working to fix that, Becky was in the back and she could see like the turn and look. And what she said was, I wanted to scream, stop looking at my team in her mama bear voice, which I don't think I wanna hear. I don't think you do either. And the question that I was wrestling with is is we talked about this in evaluation and we talked about it during the week is what would it look like for us to show the same love and honor that we give to moms, to our teams when things go wrong? Like how, how can we just, how can we trust that we have a team that is hard at work back there? And I think part of this is because of this because of this mechanistic plausibility structure that we believe in, right? Because we think if, the, if something goes wrong, if there's no words on the screen, we can't worship, right? Does that make sense? Can you hear yourself saying that? That is the mechanistic plausibility structure. Because I don't know if you know this, but prior to about 60 years ago, they didn't have words on the screens. They had, they had hymnals. And I know that many of us think that if we could just go back to the hymnals, we'd be like the first century church. You're wrong. They didn't have hymnals. Right? But there was a group of people that thought, if we don't have hymnals, we can't worship God. Really? See, Romans 12 tells us that the way to worship God is to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. It's not about the words on the screen. And my challenge for me and my challenge for you as a body and my challenge for us is how can we take delight in honoring one another? What if instead of the turn and look, we prayed? 
What if at the end of that, like we walked up to someone and this is where it's gonna take, so tech team, now I'm gonna talk to you. I'm gonna call you out, tech team. What would it be like for us to walk up to our tech team and say, man, it looked like you guys were having such a struggle back there. And then that person is immediately gonna think about what is this person gonna say next? What is this person gonna say next? And then you said, I want you to know that I prayed for you. See, we can break this this mindset that our culture is in of accusation and insinuation. And the biggest takeaway from me this week is this, as God just every single day, it was like a beat down. Watch the accusation in your voice, John. Don't insinuate, John. Take delight in, othering, in honoring others, John. What if the person that pulls out in front of you today on your way home isn't an actual moron? But they just didn't see you. Because here's reality. The person who's gonna pull out in front of you today on the way home has no idea that you exist. And my question to you is, what if you acted like they did? What if it mattered just had to tell myself all week long, take delight in honoring others, John. Take delight in honoring others, John. Here's verse 11. Never be lazy, work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Did you know that we've had two people in the last week um, take the week off work so they could help with VBS? Did you know one of those people, he's gonna hate that I do this is Bobby Crisp, who has been here for like two months. Verse 12, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help. Always be eager. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. And you bless, you bless and praise them. And this just sounds so crazy to us, right? This sounds so ridiculous. It sounds so impossible to us. Because the things that, that we have set up as reasonable and rational and plausible, the plausibility structures that we live under make this sound ridiculous. The people that do this, they're suckers. They're being taken advantage of. And I don't want to be them. But here's the reality. This is how transformed people behave. This is why I went into my office and I cried for 20 minutes because I just can't, I couldn't take it. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. See, the customs of our world say when, someone, when something good happens to someone else, what are we supposed to do in our world? We're supposed to be mad. We're supposed to be jealous. We're supposed to wonder why they got something that I deserved. But that's not what Paul's telling the church. Verse 16, live in harmony. The Greek of that means make harmony a mindset. Did you see how renewing our minds makes a difference here? This isn't just something that we do. This is a mindset. 
Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. So that in such a way means we're, we're to consider them in advance. And what that means is when I wake up in the morning, what I need to say is I need to be mentally prepared for my day to take delight in praising other people. I have to wake up with that mindset. Because if I don't, I'm going to hop in my car and somebody's going to pull out in front of me and I'm going to think they're an idiot. I'm not going to be generous. I'm not going to be kind. We have to think about these things in advance. And when you do this, and this was just my experience this week, everything came against me. As soon as I decided that I was going to take delight in doing good, it was like, an overwhelming amount of, and what God was really doing was revealing how much of a jerk I am. And I found myself just being overwhelmed. This is verse 18. Do all that you can do to live in peace with each other. See, this is your responsibility. This is my responsibility. The age of our day means, well, I'm not going to do anything until that person apologizes to me. I'm not going to do anything to make right with this other person until they do something first. But that's not what Paul says. He says, do whatever you can do. Do all that you can do to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap coals of shame on their heads. And I love this last verse. Don't let evil conquer you. I'm going to say that like a plea. Don't let evil conquer you. Don't be overcome by it, but conquer evil by doing good. See, God's word confronts us. And I wonder how you're doing when you hear this. I think there are two possible things for us to consider. The first one is this. This is, this is how we're gonna fail. Isn't that what you came for today? You wanna know how you're gonna fail. We're gonna fail if we do this on our own power and our own strength. If we just decide that we're gonna dig deep into that Western plausibility structure of mechanism and we draw up a process for how we're gonna do this, we're going to fail. Here's the other text that I got this week. How's your Romans 12 life going? It's easy when I don't talk to anyone. This was again me. Romans 12 is some impossible stuff. If we do it on our own, yes, absolutely. Thankfully, we're not expected to. Only by the spirit is that even conceivable. 
And because we're doing real talk, I said, right now I'm just relishing the conviction of just how snarky and insinuating so much of my speech and mindset is. I'm thankful for a God who lovingly makes me feel like garbage. That's conviction. And when we face conviction, we can, we can flee from it. We can embrace it. And then this is what my friend said. Sanctification. The worst yet somehow most enjoyable and fulfilling thing we get to participate in. Like getting punched in the face, but somehow makes you thankful to have a face to be punched. See, that's real talk. And this is how we succeed as a church. When we lean in and we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we count on him to do these things in us because we cannot do them on our own. We must have him. We must have renewed minds leading to transformation of our hearts. And that's how we're gonna succeed is by being God's. And I pray this week, maybe it didn't happen today, I want you to go home and read Romans 12. And before you do, ask God to to give you an honest reading of it. Be ready to be challenged. Be ready to be transformed. If you'd like to watch that Sheep Among Wolves trailer, that little piece, if you go to the YouVersion app, there's a link to it in there for today's events. It's not a popcorn, it's not eat popcorn kind of video. It's talking about things that the church faces all around the world that we only imagine. But they're doing it because of the transformation that Christ has given them. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the punch to the face that you give us because you love us and you want us to be yours. And there is no transformation without change. Unless we do something different because of who you are, we will never, ever, ever, ever change. And what each one of us needs is the conviction and the strength from a God who loves us. Help us to seek you out today. It's in your son's name.